Well, good morning. morning. Y'all are kind of quiet this morning. Not sure we're ready to start or not. But if you'll stand with us, <clears throat> let's start worshiping together.
Somebody say amen. 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 Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside. We are glad that you're here. Take a moment, welcome somebody around you, and just let them know our God is good. All right, you may return to your seats. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Well, good morning. We are glad that you are here to worship with us today on this beautiful Sunday morning. If this is your first time with us, welcome. Uh, we are delighted to have you. Um, whether it's your first time, maybe your second time, third time, 
Uh, what we would appreciate you doing if you're a guest, again, first time or fifth time, if you've never done this, is to fill out some information about yourself. There's a couple ways that you can do that. Um, one, there's a QR code that you can scan, just a couple simple questions online, or there's a connect card. You can see the ladies after the service. Uh, they've got a, a welcome gift for you, a small welcome gift, just to thank you for being here. Any way that we can help you answer questions, encourage you, pray for you, uh, we would love to be able to do that uh, this morning. And so uh, it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. A lot of exciting things uh, going on. One of those exciting things is today is the first Sunday uh, for Gary Isaacs, our new associate pastor of students. So he's starting today. It is also his birthday today. So what a, what a way to start. So happy birthday to you, Gary. Gary's going to come and pray uh, for us in just a few minutes after uh, we spend some time focusing in on our missionaries. And so it's always so good to be able to gather with the people of God, to be able to sing about the goodness of God uh, in our lives. One of the things that we want to emphasize as we gather is the need for missions, the need for evangelism, that people need to know about Jesus. And so we are in the midst of about a six-week emphasis. You'll see there in the bulletin, Annie Armstrong Easter offering started it last Sunday. We're going to go through Easter Sunday. Our goal is $6,500. You've given $1,600 so far after one week, so that's a great start. Um, now, if you give, you've got a couple options. There's envelopes, uh, envelopes there in the pew. You can put your check or your cash in there. Or on the check, if you just mark Annie Armstrong. But you have to let our counters and our financial people know that your gift is to go to specifically to Annie Armstrong. The other thing that we're going to do each week for the next several weeks is we're going to zero in on some of our missionaries who are serving um, in, in North America. And so there's six or seven families that were highlighted in the prayer guide that you received last week. The first family that we're going to watch today, I chose intentionally because they're focused upon Cincinnati, Ohio, which was my hometown growing up for 12 years. Um, and so check out this missionary family, what they're doing in Cincinnati. My name is Amr. I'm from Jordan. I moved um, with my family to the uh, U.S. We faced in Jordan a lot of persecution. Uh, it was so hard, but when we came here too, it wasn't easy for us. Me and my wife, uh, Victoria, was praying for the, um, the state and the cities that don't have Arabic church. After a long time praying, God said Cincinnati. We have a significant group of Arab-speaking people, so we've been praying for quite some time. God, would you give us someone that we can just kind of turn loose in that people group, right? And uh, Honor literally just called me out of the blue. There is not a lot of people know the culture, know their language, and can share the gospel with them. This is why we came here. Farmers of Family was part of the coronavirus relief. They just kind of called and said, hey, we got some free food. Would you guys be able to hand it out to your community? We opened the parking lot and the people coming with the cars. We talk with them, we pray with them, and also we take some boxes to deliver it to the families. They can't come here. It's an opportunity to share the gospel. We'll continue with games, we'll have egg hunting, and we'll have dinner, and we'll invite the people to go inside the church and join our service. It's wonderful what's going on. They feel in the church, they feel we are more family. It's an amazing opportunity. 
we came to reach our community, the whole Arab people. And now we have people from at least nine countries from the Arab world. When you give to Annie Armstrong, you don't give to organization, you give to the missionaries, and that allowed them to share the gospel. God has brought honor here. And we're gonna support him, we're gonna encourage him, we're gonna walk with him, and we're gonna see God get glory among their people in Cincinnati. So Lakota Hills Baptist Church is literally probably a minute from where my grandparents lived when I was growing up. And so when I watched that, it was pretty cool. It took me back. And to see the work that God is doing um, in Cincinnati. On the front of your bulletin, there's a quote from Annie Armstrong. It says, God is bringing the nations of the world to America. Right? The need for chapels and other aid is immediate. God is bringing the world to America. And he's been doing that for a while. And so we have an opportunity and just to really share the gospel with people who grew up in countries who have never heard the gospel. For the first time, they're hearing it. And so we want to encourage you over these next several weeks, right, to, to be praying, to give, and to be willing to go. Wherever you have an opportunity to go, you be willing to go. So Gary's going to come, and he's going to pray uh, just for missions. When he's done praying, Curtis, we're going to continue to worship together with some hymns. Father, we thank you so much that we can give because you have given so much. And Lord, may you commit this, this fund, Lord, into your very kind hands. Lord, may you allow this money to go as far and as wide, Lord, as you would see fit <clears throat> to churches such as Lakota, Lord, to pastors such as we just see, to do a work, Lord, such as we have seen. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that Northside would be part of that, that, Lord, our missions, Lord, would not just simply be part of giving, Lord, but of doing. Lord, may uh, the love of Christ be made evident in our giving, Lord. May it be made evident in that Annie Armstrong Fund, and may the work that comes from that fund, Lord, glorify your name. For the sake of Christ, we pray. Amen. Lord, send a great revival. Let's all stand as we sing it together. Coming now to thee, O Christ my Lord, trusting only in thy precious word. Let my humble prayer to thee be heard and send a great revival in my soul. Send great revival in my soul. Send a great revival in my soul. Let the Holy Spirit come and take control. And send a great revival in my soul. Send the Holy Spirit now within. Burning out the cross and guilt of sin. Let the mighty works of grace begin. Oh, send the great revival in my soul. Send the great revival in my soul. Send the great revival in my soul. Let the Holy Spirit come and take control. And send the great revival in my soul. 
revival, Lord, in me. Help me that I may rejoice in thee. Give me strength to win the victory and send a great revival in my soul. Send a great revival in my soul. Send a great revival in my soul. Let the Holy Spirit come and take control and send a great revival in my soul. Help me go for thee, Lord, today to some lonely soul that's gone astray. Help me lead him in the homeward way. Oh, send a great revival in my soul. Send a great revival in my soul. Send a great revival in my soul. Let the Holy Spirit come and take control. And send a great revival in my soul. We pray hard enough. Lord will send it. He'll send it in showers of blessing. Let's sing it together. There shall be showers of blessing. This is the promise of love. There shall be seasons refreshing sent from the Savior above. Showers of blessing. Showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are calling. But for the showers we plead, there shall be showers of blessing, precious reviving again. Over the hills and the valleys, sound of abundance of rain. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us or falling. But for the showers we plead, there shall be showers. Send them upon us, O oh Lord. Grant to us now a refreshing. Come and now honor thy word. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling. But for the showers we plead, there shall be showers of blessing. Oh, that today they might fall. Now is to God we're confessing. Now is on Jesus we call. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are calling. But for the showers. Thank you so much. You may be seated.
Amen. Thank you, choir and Miss Heather. All right. So today we have children's church, but only for our younger. So kindergarten, first, second grade, you all are going to stay in here today. The last Sunday of the month, you hang out with us and get to learn what it looks like to hear the Word of God proclaimed and to sit under the preaching of God's Word. But our younger kiddos are going to make their way to children's church. Everybody else, please take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. As we continue to work through verses 25 of chapter 4 through the end of the chapter, we're looking at five exhortations that Paul gives us here. Five imperatives, five commands as to how a follower of Christ is to live. A catering manager was discussing a baby christening party with a young couple. She told the mother of the baby, You look like you've lost most of your pregnancy weight. Thanks, came the reply. We adopted. <laughs> Church, what we say matters. Right? The words that come out of our mouth, right, they matter. A couple weeks ago, if you remember, I preached a sermon on anger. Righteous anger versus unrighteous anger. And during that message, I was very vulnerable, very open about my own struggles at times. And you'll remember as I was talking about that, I talked about the words that we say, but then I also talked about the tone in which we say them and our nonverbals. And how that I've had, that I was convicted that week that my tone, at least with my family, isn't always the most Christ honoring. That the words that I say, there may be nothing wrong with them, but the tone in which I say them and the nonverbals may make it seem that I'm angry when in reality I'm not. And so we talked about that. Your tone matters, your nonverbals matter, but, but, and that's important, but here's the reality. What actually comes out of your mouth also matters. So you can have the best tone and the best nonverbals, but if what comes out of your mouth isn't pleasing to the Lord, then right, that needs to be dealt with. In James chapter 3, we read about the power of the tongue. It's a small member, but it's powerful. In Proverbs 18, verse 21, we read this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Right? Our words, our speech matters. John Stott writes, speech is a wonderful gift of God. It is one of our human capacities which reflect our likeness to God. For our God speaks, and like him we also speak. Speech distinguishes us from the animal creation. Cows can moo, dogs bark, donkeys bray, pigs grunt, lambs bleat, lions roar, monkeys squeal, and birds sing. But only human beings can speak. God creating us in his image, a God who speaks, who spoke the creation into existence, who has spoken to us through his word, through his son Jesus, who has spoken throughout the Bible, speaks. And he's given us the gift of speaking. So this morning we come to Ephesians chapter 4, and we look at the fourth exhortation that applies to every single one of us in this room. Because we all deal with language. So if you have a copy of God's Word, would you please stand? Even if you don't have a copy, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? We're going to begin in verse 29. We're going to read verse 29 and 30. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, 
but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let's pray. God, we come to this very important time in our weekly gathering where we open your word. Father, where words are proclaimed and where the Spirit of God speaks. This is your word, all of it, breathed out by God and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So Spirit of God, where we need to be taught, teach us. Where we need to be rebuked, Spirit of God, rebuke us. Correct us. Train us in righteousness. Forgive us, O God. Give us grace because we need your grace today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So here's where we're going today. Three main ideas as we walk through this verse that I want you to see. Where we're going to begin is the external. Right, the external. We're going to take a few minutes and actually think about the words that come out of our mouth, the external. Then we're going to transition into the internal. We're going to ask the question, where do these words that come out of our mouth, where do they come from? And then the last thing we're going to look at is the spiritual. Right, the spiritual. Because behind all the physical that we see, the words that we say, what we see going on, there's always a spiritual, eternal reality at play. And so that's where we will finish up our time. So let's begin. As we're thinking about these verses, let's start with the external, the words that we speak. You'll notice, as it is with every one of these exhortations, there's a prohibition. There is something that you, now that you're a follower of Christ, now that you've been saved by grace, you put your faith in Jesus, you have been changed, you're different Right, there's something that is to be removed from your life. And here's what he says. Let, right, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. That word for corrupting is sapros. It can, it can mean bad, rotten, corrupt, unprofitable, unwholesome. It's used in the Gospel of Matthew to refer to rotten fruit. Same word translated here, corrupting, refers to corrupting or rotten fruit. Later in the Gospel of Matthew, it's used when referring to rotten fish. I like what John MacArthur writes. Unwholesome language should be as repulsive to us as a rotten apple or a spoiled piece of meat. So if you walk into somebody's house and they say, hey, here, would you like this piece of fruit and it is rotten? You're not going to be like, yes, let me have some of that. Like, I would love that. You're going to be like, no, thank you. I'm good. I just ate. Are you going to lie? You're going to be dishonest. I just ate because you don't want that. And MacArthur's point is just like you and I are not willingly going to bring rotten fruit or rotten meat into our bodies, we should be just as repulsed with unwholesome, corrupt speech that comes out of our mouth. So let's take a couple minutes. Let's think about what is corrupt or unwholesome speech. Well, all the commentaries that you read, right, different uh, variations on this, or just some of the basic ones that I, that I was thinking of this week, right, we can start with foul language or vulgar speech. Like, I believe, and, and Christians can disagree on this because these words are arbitrary, defined by a culture. I believe the words that we would define as curse words, 
I just personally, I was convicted of this when I was young, 13, 14 years old. I just believe those words don't need to come out of our mouth. I think that's corrupt. I think it's unwholesome. That's how the world talks. And I just don't think it needs to be a part of our life. Uh, unwholesome speech, slander, gossip, unkind words. They say that Augustine had a sign hanging in his dining room wall that read this, whoever speaks evil of an absent man or woman is not welcome at this table. As believers in Christ, we should not be speaking evil of someone, really, period, but especially if they're not around, right? That's gossip. Unwholesome speech, corrupt speech would be lying, name-calling. Let's be a people, we're just not calling people names. Look, when I was a youth pastor, I would joke. I said the word moron all the time. I mean, they knew I was teasing. I mean, you're such a moron. It was my loving language to them. But eventually I realized, you know, moron probably isn't the best thing to be calling my students as much as I love them. So I didn't call them that anymore. Um, complaining could be unwholesome. Negativity. Destructive criticism. Racial or ethnic insults should have no part in our vocabulary. Last one, using the Lord's name in vain. Look, I, I hear a lot of people, and even Christians, maybe they don't even realize it, say, oh my God. Last week on the upward field, a kid messed up and he said, Jesus Christ. And I wasn't close enough to him where I could just say, hey man, let's not say that. I would have had to shout it and everybody would have heard me. Like that just... Man, Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We don't, we don't take his name in vain. We don't say that name lightly. When you get mad, oh my, we don't, we don't do that. I think all of that could be corrupt, unwholesome speech. Certainly we could elaborate on all of that. Um, we could add more things into that. But just as we're kind of thinking through it, that kind of language, that kind of talking, right, should, there should be no place for that in our life. So that's what we remove. That's the prohibition. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Here's the exhortation. Here's what we replace it with. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So Paul's writing to believers in the church in Ephesus. He's saying, you've been saved. You've learned Christ. There is a change. This is what has changed. But only such as is good for building up. Paul is saying our speech should be wholesome should be beneficial it should be edifying speech that builds up rather than that tears down some examples words of encouragement some of you have that gift i've said this before my mom has a gift of encouragement encouraging people words of appreciation words of gratitude words of thanks words of praise how about this words of scripture like, quote scripture. That's edifying. That's building people up. That's encouraging people. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. A couple years ago, I was listening to sports talk radio, Kentucky sports radio to be exact, because I'm a huge Kentucky fan. And they had the Kentucky baseball coach on there. And uh, Nick Mingione, he's a, a believer. He's a follower of Christ, very public in that. And so he, he would come on for these encouraging words. And he said, I never forgot it, he said, I tell my players, be a fountain and not a drain. Are you a fountain? 
When people come to you, are you giving words of life and words of encouragement to when they walk away, they're like, man, he just encouraged me. Or are you a drain that just sucks the life, like just sucks the water? When people walk away, they're like, man, that was not an edifying conversation. Like, are you a fountain encouraging, lifting people up? Or are you tearing them down? When people spend time with you and they leave, are they more encouraged are they built up? Are they like, I can't wait to see them again, to spend time with them? Because that's how we ought to be as followers of Christ. Now, this is important. We are to speak wholesome words, beneficial words. And sometimes, hear me, sometimes that means words of correction. Words of correction are uplifting, beneficial, wholesome speech, hear me, when done the right way. So there are times that we have to correct. A father has to correct a son, or a mom has to correct a daughter, or a spouse has to correct a, the, the, the other spouse, or a deacon has to correct a, his family member in the church, or a Sunday school teacher has to correct one of their students, right? It happens, but when, when we must speak corrective speech, it must be done, hear me, with the right spirit and after much prayer. Now, there may be a moment you see a kid running in the sanctuary, and you're like, hey, man, let's not run in the sanctuary. But you say it with grace. You're not like, hey, kid, what's wrong with you? Quit running. Why are you always doing this, right? We're not trying to tear people down. But when you have to genuinely, seriously know you've got to correct somebody, a choice, a sin, before you do that, you better make sure you spend a lot of time in prayer. And you need to examine your own heart to say, am I guilty of this sin that I'm about to confront in them? Because if I am, I've got to repent before I ever go say anything to them. So wholesome words that build up is the gospel. It's speaking sin when we see sin. But again, how do we do it? It's got to be done with the right spirit out of the right heart. He continues, as fits the occasion. That means your words should be appropriate. They should come at an appropriate time. Just a couple of Proverbs. Proverbs 15, 23. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season how good it is. Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. So it needs to be appropriate. It needs to be the right time. Here's the reality. Sometimes a word might need to be said, but it's not the appropriate moment. Like when I heard the kid use the name of Jesus in vain, it was not an appropriate moment to shout across the field, hey, kid, we don't say his name in vain. Like that wasn't an appropriate time. So make sure the word that you say is appropriate. It's fitting. And then he goes on to say, he continues one more thing, that it may give grace to those who hear. I love what the King James Version says, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. That when you're speaking, you are ministering grace to the hearers. Our words should build up and give grace to those who hear. Every single one of us can think back right now to a moment in which you were discouraged and you were down. And you had a phone call or you were in a conversation and you needed an encouraging word. Can you think of that moment in your life? And by God's grace, that other person, sensitive to the Spirit of God, having spent time in prayer, rises up to the occasion and speaks a gracious, fitting word that you needed to hear.
But every single one of us in this room can also think of a time when we were discouraged and we were down and we really needed that encouraging word and the person on the other end maybe had a rough day. Maybe they weren't being sensitive to the Spirit and they just ripped into you. They turned the conversation, made it all about them. Right? They, just, they made the situation worse and you walked away more discouraged than you already were. And here's the reality. We can flip that. There's been a time when somebody has come to you needing an encouraging word. And there's been times you were faithful and there's been times that you have failed to speak truth to them. So here's the deal. And I want to make this applicable before we get into two more heavy thoughts. William Penn says, if you think twice before you speak once, you will speak twice the better for it. If you think twice before you speak once, you will speak twice the better for it. So in order for us to speak in a way that is wholesome and and uplifting, we have to think before we speak. And so just an acronym to kind of help you with this. You've seen this before for think. First thing, is it true? Is what you're about to say true? If it's dishonest, if it's a lie, don't even say it. What you say must be true. The second thing, it must be helpful. Is it helpful? Again, correction can be helpful when done in the right way. But is it helpful? I, is it important? Just because you think it's important doesn't mean it's important. Is it really important in that moment to say what you need to say? Is it necessary? Is it necessary that you say this? And is it kind? Right? Think. Think before we speak. I read this poem this week. A careless word may kindle strife. A cruel word may wreck a life. A bitter word may hate and still. A brutal word may smite and kill. A gracious word may smooth the way. A joyous word may light the day. A timely word may lessen stress. A loving word may heal and bless. The Apostle Paul saying, listen, brothers, sisters, you've been changed. You've been transformed. You know Jesus. That means what comes out of your mouth ought to be different from the way the world speaks. Not unwholesome, corrupt speech, but uplifting, encouraging speech that is gracious and appropriate and timely. So that's the external. That's the words that actually come out of our mouth. But here's the second thing. It's going to get a little heavier going forward. I'm just giving you fair warning. The second thing is this, internal. The words that come out, where do they come from? This is what Paul says. Look, he says in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. So those words have already come out. Where are those words coming from? So if you have your Bible in your hands, we turn back to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 35. Matthew chapter 12, 33 through 35. These are the words of Jesus as he is teaching. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Like, we get that. You walk up to a tree, if you see apples, you're like, okay, apples, this is an apple tree. If it's healthy apples, then the tree itself is healthy. And so he's making a simple point. And then he says this, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? And here it is, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Matthew 15, 18, he says this, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. 
And this defiles a person. So here's the truth. Our words reveal what's in our heart. So the words that come out of your mouth are coming from your heart. They reveal what is really in your heart. They reveal the condition of your heart. The old saying goes, whatever is down in the well will come up in the bucket sooner or later. Whatever's in the well, you bring up the bucket enough times, whatever's down there eventually is going to come up. Whatever's in your heart eventually is going to come out of your mouth. In other words, corrupt talk comes from a corrupt heart. Corrupt, unwholesome talk, all the things that we mentioned, come from a corrupt heart. And the reality is, apart from the work of Jesus Christ in saving us and transforming us, our hearts are wicked and corrupt, and thus corrupt, wicked talk is going to come out. When you're hanging around the water cooler on a high school football team, there's all sorts of corrupt talk that's going to come out of those teenage boys' mouths. Why? Because many of them are lost And all that's in their heart is corrupt, unwholesome speech. It's going to come out. But what does Paul say in Ephesians 4? He says, that's not the way you learn Christ. You've learned Christ. You've received Christ. You don't speak like that any longer. In Ephesians 3, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In Ephesians 2, by grace you have been saved. In Ephesians 1, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. Corrupt talk comes from a corrupt heart. But now watch this. Gracious talk, gracious words come from a heart that has been transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. We've been changed. Therefore, grace comes out of a heart that has been been changed. So here's the question for you. Has your heart been transformed by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ? And if your heart has been changed, then your words also should be changed. They should be different. Here's the bottom line. The only way to change this, what comes out of your mouth, is for Jesus Christ to change this. The only way this is going to change is when Jesus changes your heart. I think I've shared this before. When we talk about corrupting, unwholesome talk, I can't help but think about my own life. I was saved when I was 10 years old, right? Jesus cried out, Jesus saved me. I knew my life was supposed to be different. Fast forward a couple years, we've moved to Kentucky. I'm on a a weekend trip with our youth group called Christ Committed. And right there, the last night is a cross in the middle. And the guy that was there is talking about sin. And Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross for us, was raised from the dead, died for our sins. And as Christians, when our sins have been paid for we can't continue to live in those sin so they gave us a piece of paper and we were to write a sin on that piece of paper we were to nail it to the cross and in that moment the spirit of God convicted me because as a 12 year old I had a foul mouth if you can think of whatever the curse words are I said them every single one of them and at that moment I realized and that's why for me 
I believe cursing is a sin because I was personally convicted of that. Those words could not come out of my mouth as a follower of Jesus Christ. So I wrote that on that piece of paper. I nailed it to the cross. And you would think, wow, that was just some exercise. What did it really do? But I was genuine. Church, the Holy Spirit of God changed me that day. Changed me. I mean, I went from a guy who all he did was say these words to a guy instantly stopped saying them. That wasn't on me. This changed because the Spirit of God changed this. And as followers of Christ, our speech matters. And here's why it matters. And now we're going to get real heavy because the spiritual. Behind every physical reality is a spiritual reality. We're talking about eternal things here. Why does it matter what you say? I want to give you two reasons why. We're going to go back to Matthew and then we're going to come back to Ephesians. I want to go to Matthew chapter 12. I just read these verses, but I stopped reading before we got to this verse. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. The first reason it matters what comes out of our mouth is because we're going to have to give an account. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Why does it matter what you say? Because Jesus said a day is coming when you and I will stand before God and we will give an account for every careless word we speak. That word careless is argos. It means without thought. Without thought. You and I are going to stand before a living God. I'm going to stand before a living God and I'm going to have to give an account, Jesus says, for every careless word that comes out of my mouth. Now here's the good news because of Jesus Christ. We know that in Christ, every careless word that we say, every sinful word that we say is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's forgiven. All sins, past, present, future that I commit are covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. So when I stand before him, because of Jesus, I will be forgiven. His righteousness given to me. God is not going to condemn me to hell for my careless words because I'm in Christ. Now hear me, those of you who aren't in Christ, you've never believed in Jesus, you've rejected him, his blood doesn't cover you, you will give an account and your sins will condemn you to hell. Because of Jesus, my sins are forgiven. And I know that and I understand that. But that reality doesn't make Jesus' words here less weighty. Because I'm still going to give an account. Yes, they're forgiven, Yes, the righteousness of Christ is given to me, but I still got, got to give an account. And I want to be found faithful. I want to stand before my God with the blood of King Jesus covering me, and I want to say I was faithful to use the words that you've given me not to tear down, but to build up that I understood the significance of my words and I lived my life by your grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to use my words for good and not for evil. It matters, church. It matters. And here's the deal. I told you I was going to do this. When Paul is writing these words, let your speech right, not be corrupting but wholesome, the apostle Paul never in a million years could have looked forward to 2022 and the day and age of social media. Never. Like he's thinking words that you say and maybe words you write down in a letter. But you and I live in a different world. 
And when it says we're going to give an account for every careless word that we speak, church, I believe that means you're going to have to give an account for every careless word you throw out on social media. It matters. Every single word you type, that you send, that you text, that you tweet, that you share, all of it. And whatever you say, whether you say it or type it, it's all coming from the heart. And I want us to be found faithful. But then there's another reason. Now we're going to go back to Ephesians chapter 4, and it's verse 30. And Paul says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So we go to the Holy Spirit, right? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Most commentaries believe that, that Paul probably has Isaiah in mind. So let me read this for you. Isaiah 63, verse 10 says, But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. They rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So God delivers and rescues Israel out of Egypt. He's leading them through the wilderness. He's providing them with rest. He's providing them with manna. He's taking care of them. And in the midst of leading them from Egypt into the promised land, they rebel against him. They begin to live in sin. And Isaiah says they grieved the Holy Spirit. And Paul here is warning us so that we don't make the same mistake, that in our rebellion, we are not found guilty of grieving the Holy Spirit of God. R.T. France writes this, The Spirit, who is the divine agent of reconciliation and unity in the body, is especially grieved when unwholesome speech is uttered by members against one another. Let me remind you, according to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 4, it is the Spirit of God who brings about reconciliation in the church you remember that he's bringing jew and gentile the spirit of god brings them together therefore it grieves the spirit of god when we do something that causes the unity that the spirit of god is doing to bring us together when we tear it apart whether it be through falsehood which was the first exhortation unrighteous anger the second exhortation, stealing from one another, the third exhortation, or letting uncorrupt, unwholesome speech come out of our mouths, the fourth exhortation. When we do these things, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Now let's take a moment and let's talk about the Holy Spirit. We could spend weeks preaching on this. We're going to do this in about two minutes, and then we're going to close. Paul is saying that it's possible for us to grieve the Holy Spirit. So let's break that down. Number one, I want you to understand that the Spirit is a person. The Spirit is not a force. We don't refer to the Spirit as an it. The Spirit is a person. You cannot grieve the force. You can't grieve an it. You can grieve a person. And Paul says we can grieve the Spirit. So the Spirit is a person. Secondly, notice the Spirit is characterized by holiness. He's the Spirit... That's a noun. The adjective is the word holy, agios. He's the Holy Spirit. He's holy. Therefore, anything that is unholy grieves the Holy Spirit. Third, the Spirit is God. Co-equal, co-eternal. Right? The third person of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. That's what Paul says. Right? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And here's the fourth thing. And I found this really interesting in, in my reading this week is that the Holy Spirit is loving. We often think about the love of the Father and the love of the Son, but we also must think about the love of the Holy Spirit because what Paul's doing here 
is he is appealing to them on the basis of their personal relationship with a loving God. And here's their argument. You cannot grieve someone who does not love you. You can make them angry. You can tick them off. You can't grieve them because they don't love you. A father who has a rebellious wayward son grieves for that son. Why? Because he loves him. We are loved by God. And when we live in a way that is contrary to who he saved us to be, we grieve the Spirit of God. So when we speak or live in an unholy, ungodly way, we grieve the Spirit of God. Now the Scripture also teaches us that we can resist the Holy Spirit. Some of you have resisted him. He's he's been convicting you of sin, convicting you of unrighteousness. He's been drawing you to the Father, and you keep resisting. You keep rebelling against that. The New Testament says we can also quench, quench the Spirit of God. We can quench the work of God in our life when, when we aren't obedient and we aren't listening to that. And here in Ephesians, it says we can grieve the Spirit of God. So here's, here's how I want to end. Because here's the reality, and sometimes we lose sight of this. He says here that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. This is from Ephesians chapter 1. For the day of redemption, right, we have been forgiven, uh, but also the day of redemption, the glorification of our bodies, that's a future day. That ultimate final day is coming, but he says we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. So what the Bible teaches us is that when you give your life to Jesus, and Jesus becomes Lord and Savior of your life, you become one who is indwelt by the Spirit of God. Tracking with me so far? So I'm a believer in Christ the Spirit of God lives in me. And, and my wife is a believer in Christ. So the Spirit of God also lives in her. So when I sin ultimately against God, but when I sin against her, when I hurt her, when I tear her down with my words, not only am I hurting someone who is made in the image of God, but I'm also mistreating somebody who is indwelt with the same Holy Spirit that indwells me. Your words matter. That lady behind the cash register, she may or may not be a believer, but she's made in the image of God. God loves her. And if she's a believer, the Spirit of God lives in her. How you treat her matters. The person who is being difficult to you at work, whether they're a believer or not, made in the image of God, if they're a believer, the Spirit of God lives in them. What you say to them matter. The people who are out there somewhere reading your posts on social media, whether they're a believer or not, they're made in the image of God. If they're a believer, they're indwelt by the Spirit of God. Our words matter. Church, I cannot emphasize that enough. Everything you say has eternal consequences and matters. By the grace of God, our words can be transformed. You can't do it alone, but by God's grace, he can change your words. So as we close, number one, do you know Jesus Christ? Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you confessed your sins? Have you confessed these unwholesome words? Have you trusted in him? And the second thing is, brothers and sisters, if you're guilty of unwholesome talk, and I'm not just talking about every now and then, but I'm saying it's a pattern of your life, understand it grieves the Holy Spirit. And it ought to grieve you. 
And I don't know the last time you've wept over your sin, the last time you came and just got on your knees before God and prayed for your sin. But when we, when we have this last song we're going to sing in just a moment, right, the altar's open. Maybe you need to come and just confess your sin. Maybe it's not unwholesome speech. You're guilty of another sin, but God has convicted you that you're grieving the Spirit of God who indwells you. And by God's grace, He's willing to forgive that right now through His blood that covers you, but He wants to correct. He's rebuking. And will you confess that? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I'm so thankful for Your grace and Your mercy. God, because a message like this, man, apart from Your grace and mercy, Lord, is, uh, it's debilitating. It really is. God, because we know the wickedness of our own hearts. We know the sinfulness of our own hearts. God, every single one of us, we use words. We failed this week in some way. Every one of us have failed. And we need your grace. We need your mercy. We need your forgiveness. And Lord, I do believe deep down as believers, we want to be delivered from these sins. And that's only possible through the Spirit of God. So, so, God, if we're guilty of grieving you, forgive us. Father, if we, Lord, have been found guilty of being encouraging and uplifting, that's what people say about us. Man, they, just, they always build me up. They're, they're always so encouraging. Then, God, may we give you the praise and the glory because we know it's not because of us. It's all because of you. Father, if anyone here today has never, has never confessed their sins, that has never really hit them, that they're going to stand before a holy, righteous God one day. And they will give an account for their life and for everything that they did. And Father, they are going to be found guilty and they're going to be condemned to hell. But their only hope is through Jesus Christ. Then may today be a day of salvation for them as they turn and cry out, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Save me. Cleanse me. And change me. Oh God, may your people live so radically different from this world that the world looks at us and says, man, what do you have? Because I want that. Because you are so different than anybody else I know. Father, speak to us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand. If you have a decision that you want to come and share, or if you want me to pray for you in any way, come kneel at the front. As we sing, you respond as the Lord leads you.
for just a couple minutes. We have some announcements we want to go over. As always, I encourage you to pay attention in the bulletin. We have church directory photos. They're going to start, as I guess, right after the service is over. Um, we will have a makeup day at some point. If you can't get your picture taken today, you're not prepared. Uh, so we'll let you know when, when that is. Um, don't forget about the Annie Armstrong offering. Our Easter service times are listed in there. Uh, our kids camp. So the information is there. If you're interested in going to kids camp, we have two spots left. You can come see me today and just say, hey, I got a couple questions. What is this? What's it look like? I'd love to talk to you about that. We need volunteers for VBS so you can see Rachel um, register for that, get signed up for that. Uh, the fundraising event, we've been talking about that. The information's in the bulletin. Um, they'll be out there again if you have some questions about how you can help support this family who's going through a difficult time and secure your tickets for the, the fundraiser. Uh, love for you to, to be involved in that. Um, again, so good to have you with us today, Gary. Excited about what God is going to do going forward. If you all will continue just to pray for he and his family, uh, they have a house to sell, um, so pray for that. And they have a house that they have to find, so pray for that. And also just pray for them uh, over the next probably five to six weeks. Uh, they're going to be away from each other quite a bit. As Gary's here, he's going to be here Sundays through Wednesday nights, and he's going to go back with his family uh, on Thursdays and Fridays. And so just pray for him as he's traveling back and forth quite a bit over the next several weeks, and that God, as he has already done, he's made the way. Now it's just them figuring out what that plan is as God reveals that to them. So continue to pray uh, for them. All right, Chris is the deacon of the week, so he's going to come and close us with a word of prayer. So if you'll stand. Uh, we got the Grand Prix tonight. The race actually starts at 6, right? But, all right, so if you're racing in the Grand Prix tonight, your car needs to be here around 5 o'clock, and then the race starts at 6 o'clock. So I want to encourage you to come back for that. In Sunday school, we've been doing an overview of numbers, and one of the famous passages in numbers is the Aaronic blessing in um, number six. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end us off with that. Uh, fun fact, um, the, um, the oldest manuscript that we have that has scripture written on it is the Aaronic blessing. It's called the Silver Scroll. It's in a museum in Israel. It was on a priestly amulet. There's a little, little silver thing that unrolled out of it from the 600 B.C., and it has the Aaronic blessing on it. So you can impress your friends at lunch with that. All right, let us pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you 
and give you peace. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.